Right. There we go. That's better. Good morning. Good morning. This morning is Acts 2. Those of you who have uh, been Christian for a long time will know instantly what this one's about. Uh, It's about Pentecost. It's about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And this morning's title uh, that I have chosen for this is Experiencing the Power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to take a walk through Acts 2 this morning, uh, the first part of Acts 2, and then uh, we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does in this place today. Isn't that exciting? Well, before we dive in, I want to just rewind a bit and do a previously in Acts. So where have we come from? Uh, You might remember from a couple of weeks ago, Acts was written as the sequel to to Luke's gospel. So Luke uh, followed on. In the very first verses, he writes, In my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Why did I want to go back and look at that? Note what it says. Note that all Jesus began to do. Not what all Jesus did. It was, yes, it was a historical account, but it was the beginning of what Jesus had to do. As we come through Acts now, we're coming into what Jesus continued to do. Uh, Often the book of Acts is known as the uh, Acts of the Apostles. And if you read a lot of commentaries, people uh, often write in that that it should be actually Acts of the Holy Spirit. Actually, I think that it should be the continuing Acts of of Jesus through the Apostles who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, you can probably see why they didn't title it that. That's a bit of a mouthful. But I think we just have to remember that even though Jesus... Jesus. (laughs) I nearly went Pentecostal on you all. (laughs) Uh, Even though Jesus has uh, ascended to heaven and they're waiting for him to come again, this is still Jesus' acts on earth. It is just through the apostles, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is still central to what we read in these 28 chapters of Acts. So as David introduced uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the apostles were expecting a promise that Jesus had made to them. They were expecting the Holy Spirit to come. Now, when I started reading about this, Uh, I was reading uh, Henry Lloyd-Jones, who uh, wrote a number of books, including Joy Unspeakable. And I noticed that he referred to John 20, verses 21 and 22, which says, uh, after Jesus appears to them uh, after the resurrection, uh, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people 
understand Acts to be when the Holy Spirit came on the apostles. And when we look at it, we will see that there is definitely something different and big about what happens on this. But does that mean that they didn't have the Holy Spirit before? Well, according to John, and in other parts in the Gospels, the disciples had received the Holy Spirit. So why wasn't that the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made? Because John also says uh, in, his, in chapter 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. The Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Helper he's referring to is the Holy Spirit. So he believes that Jesus has to ascend to heaven before they will be blessed by the Holy Spirit, before the Holy Spirit will come. But then later on, he says that Jesus breathes out the Holy Spirit. There are many different views on this, (laughs) and I am not going to cover them all. If you want to read them all, uh, please do. But let's just look at a couple of things that it might have been just to clear up why I think that the Holy Spirit can still be there and it can still be true that Jesus breathed out the Holy Spirit, but that Pentecost is when the power of the Holy Spirit came. If we take a look at the wording that's used, uh, breathing is something that gives life. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God breathes life into man. Now that isn't everything that happened to man. After he'd had life breathed into him, he was given instruction. He was told what to do. So perhaps this is Jesus breathing life into the disciples, ready to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Can it be the fulfillment of the promise? I don't think so. Because the promise was made for everyone, and there were only ten disciples there. Even all of them, even all of the disciples weren't there. So whether or not the Holy Spirit was breathed into them, this wasn't what was coming. This wasn't what Jesus was talking about. So, let's just look at how they reacted. Well, they didn't really, in John, they didn't. That doesn't sound like the powerful Holy Spirit, does it? That just sounds like they received something that was preparing them. So, if they didn't think they'd receive what Jesus had promised, then they were still in that waiting place, as Barry talked about last week. They were waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to come. So let's read what comes next. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through to 21. And then we'll take a look at what this passage says about what happens as the Holy Spirit comes to the apostles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, in other tongues, as the Spirit had given them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mes... I can never say that one. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. in uh, what we understand to be the time. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on, my males, even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above, and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this Bible that we can read and we can understand a little bit more today of what you are trying to do. I pray, Lord Jesus, will you fill us all with your Holy Spirit this morning so that we can better understand how you have work in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, right at the beginning of that, why is it I always end up on passages where I'm on a page term? When the day of Pentecost arrived, and now if we say Pentecost in modern evangelical churches, we instantly go, oh, that's the day the Holy Spirit came. But that's not what it meant to the apostles when they were stood there. Uh, Pentecost simply means 50th. It's the 50th day after the uh, Passover. And so it's also, as well as being the 50th day of the Passover, it's also known as the Festival of the First Fruits or the Festival of Weeks. Because it's seven weeks after, uh, after the... Uh, I keep forgetting after the Passover. I don't know why that's not sticking in my mind. 
So it's 50, 50 days, seven weeks after the Passover, and it's the festival of the first fruits. So the festival of the first fruits is them celebrating the first crops of the harvest. They're celebrating something new. So they're celebrating what they've got, and they're celebrating what is to come as well. It's the first fruits of the harvest, not everything. It's not the end of harvest. It's what they've got coming. So they, it's quite a big thing for them, and that explains why all the people, uh, all the Jews had come to Jerusalem. It says we listed all those places that I couldn't pronounce. <laughs> they're all there, and they're all there because of Pentecost, because of this festival that they celebrate. If you want to know a bit more about the Feast of the First Fruits, the Festival of the First Fruits, then you can see that in Leviticus 23, where uh, it's detailed in the Old Testament of actually what, what went on there. So this is something that is rooted in, in the Bible. This is not something that they just made up. This is something that they were instructed to do. So that's what Pentecost is. Next, it says, they were all together in one place. Now, before this, they've been in the upper room of a house, and they may well have been in the upper room of the house. But there's about 120 people gathered together, so it was probably a very big room. It might not have been the room of a house. It might well have been the room of the temple, and that would certainly explain why so many people were able to gather so quickly around these people when the Holy Spirit falls on them, as we'll see later, because they were actually there in the temple. Maybe they were in an upper room in a house, but it must have been pretty close to the temple because it seems pretty immediate. They hear the voice. You've got to be pretty close to hear. But the important part isn't exactly which room it was, although if you read commentaries, you might think the number of pages about that make it the biggest thing about that. Actually, the most important part there is that they were all together, and that's what they've been told to do. They've been told to wait in Jerusalem, so they've been obedient. They were waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come and they were still all together. At the end of Luke, it says that the disciples stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And later on in Acts, it said, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. So they were together, they were eating together. They were worshipping God in the temple together. They were waiting together. Then we get to the exciting bit. The Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind, a sound from heaven which filled, it filled the house, it filled that room, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested with them. Now, it probably wasn't actual fire, but it might have been. Moses saw a burning bush that didn't burn up. could have been actual fire. Or it might just be 
that it was so amazing, that was the closest thing they could use to describe the power of what they saw, the tongues of fire. And it rested on each one of them, every single one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not the temple. It wasn't the temple that was filled. It wasn't some private room. It wasn't the tabernacle. Remember in the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle that was filled with God's presence. Today, on, in, this, uh, in this place, on Pentecost, each and every one was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of the new body, and the new temple. Not just, they're not just people who are coming into God's presence. They're being filled by God's Holy Spirit. They began speaking in other tongues. The word gave them, the Spirit gave them words that they didn't understand. It's very clear they were speaking these languages. The Spirit was giving them the words to say. And what did that do? What did those different languages do? It drew people in. It attracted people. They heard their own languages. Now, if you hear someone speaking English across, the, across on the beach, you don't go running over to them. But just remember what we, what we read uh, later on. Dwelling in Jerusalem were the Jews from everywhere, lots of different languages. So to actually hear a group of people who look like locals, Galileans, people who uh, speak one particular language, to hear them speaking that different language must have been amazing. And it drew people in. It drew people to crowd around them and see what was going on. And what were they talking about? They weren't just talking about how they got there and what their day was. They were talking about the mighty works of God. So people were being drawn in to hear about the mighty works of God in their own language. Now, if we go right back into Genesis again, you might remember the story in Genesis 11 of the Tower of Babel. And what God does there when the people have not been obedient to him is he confuses the language. They don't understand each other anymore. And he disperses them across the earth. So what's striking about this is that he's bringing understanding to everyone and, he's br and they're all together in that one place. So the Holy Spirit is uniting into one understanding, bringing back the people to all be together again in a one true understanding. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing to see that God has gone from I don't want you to understand. I need to send you all away to come together. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. What words are used to describe this? It was amazing. It was astonishing. It was bewildering and perplexing. Some thought they were drunk. What, what do you think that means? Some thought they were drunk. What, what do you think drew them to that? Was it because they were speaking other languages? 
Perhaps they were physically shaking. Perhaps it was just so out of character of these people that that, that was the only explanation they could come up, to, come up with. I'll stop there just a minute. If people came through the door today, we believe we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, how many times do you think people would think we were drunk or completely out of character? Probably not as often as we would like. I think we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. We must seek that, and that's what we're going to come and do a bit later, is to seek the Holy Spirit to come again. Now, I'm not saying that uh, we need to always have that kind of outward being drunk thing, and we'll look a little bit more at that later. But that's the power of the Spirit, and we want to see more of that, don't we? We want to see more of the power of the Spirit. So, the Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come in power. He's spreading the gospel message already through, through the mighty works that are being spoken by the apostles. And people are confused. Some people are bewildered. They're asking, what does this mean? What is this? They're looking for an explanation. Some people have written it off, gone, ah, they're drunk. Don't worry about them. So Peter stands up and he explains it. He starts by saying that they're not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. Now, if you go down to Weatherspoons on the seafront at 9 a.m., it's entirely possible you will find someone who's drunk at 9 a.m. But I suspect, although I don't know, but I suspect that in those days it was very rare to find someone who was drunk at 9 a.m. So that, partly, he explained, look, it's 9 a.m., really? Really, do you think they're drunk? People don't drink at 9 a.m. in the morning. He then goes on to speak from uh, what the prophet Joel promised. So he's speaking into something that they know the Jews know this passage. They know what the prophet Joel said. And he reads it to them. And he uses that as a way to describe what they're witnessing. So suddenly, all the Jews that are there can ground what they're seeing in something they believe in. They believe in the Bible. The Jews there believe in the Bible. And they believe that the prophet Joel told of something that was to come. So Peter gives them the context. He goes, do you remember what the prophet Joel told us? Do you remember what that was? Well, here it is. This is what you are witnessing now. Remember that. It's biblical. He contextualizes it. He makes sure that the people can understand. And then... That experience points to the gospel. Right at the end, Peter says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right there and then. He doesn't spend weeks going through a series of all the steps to come through. He stands up, he says, Look, the Holy Spirit's here. That's what's happening here. Joel told you it was going to come, and you could be saved today. 
That's, that's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So that sounds like a pretty big experience, doesn't it? And it reminds me of uh, my experience of the Holy Spirit at the Courage Conference last year. So the Courage Conference, for those of you who don't know, is a conference that's run every two years uh, as part of the Family of Churches relational mission that we're part of. And it gathers together people from all of the relational mission churches, leaders, both in church and in the workplace, all together to come and uh, spend some time worshipping God and hearing some teaching from some great people. And one of those evenings, uh, we were waiting on the Holy Spirit. And we'd started with worship, and there's a guy... uh, Andy Kite, a very gifted worship leader and musician. Um, You can look him up on Spotify. He's got a couple of albums out there. They're really good. And we're all stood there worshipping. And suddenly he is lying on the floor, laughing, playing his guitar, lying, laughing, crying. And I'm going to be honest with you. My first reaction was, oh, for goodness sake, get up off the floor. Why was that my reaction? You know what? I was a bit embarrassed for him. It looked weird. Now, hold on a minute. Didn't we just read that at Pentecost they thought they were drunk? Who am I to write off that experience? Who am I to tell him to get up off the ground? So God decided to check my heart on that. And so we uh, heard from, I think it was Mike Pilavachi during that session, and uh, he is very gifted in bringing the Holy Spirit, um, or not bringing the Holy Spirit, hosting the Holy Spirit. He has an anointing that just opens up a room to receive the Holy Spirit and for people to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So you'll never guess what God did. The Holy Spirit fell on me, filled me up, and I could not stop laughing. I was laughing hysterically, absolutely hysterically. I couldn't stop myself. And so that happened for quite a while. I wasn't the only one that that was happening to. There were a few, quite a few other people in the room. And then they asked people to come forward. Um, and uh, Mike Bollinger prayed for me and I fell over um, in the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. So I'd gone from, will you get up off the floor? to lying on the floor. God went, "Eh, there you go. That'll teach you. But does that sound like the experience you've had of the Holy Spirit? Some of you may well have experienced that power. Some of you might not have. Perhaps it's been discouraging for you. You've read that passage and you've heard these great stories of powerful moving with massive physical acts. Perhaps you've used Acts 2 as an instruction manual, like, I really want the Holy Spirit. So you've, someone's gone, oh, Acts 2, Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. So you've got it out, and you've read through and you've gone, right, okay, well, we need to all be together. We're all together, we're in a room together, we're waiting, 
okay, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and I must speak in tongues afterwards, and I must appear to be drunk. And so you come to the Lord, and you're like, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. And you don't get that. You don't get that. Do you feel discouraged by that? This is meant to be encouraging. I don't think this is what God wants us to do. And I actually think that sometimes we put too much focus on the Holy Spirit here and not considered what happens elsewhere in the Bible when the Holy Spirit comes. I mean, even carrying on in Acts, though, having said that, having said that, you get to Acts 7... 55, Stephen. Stephen sees Jesus at the right hand of God. He sees Jesus at the right hand of God. Put your hand up if you've seen Jesus at the right hand of God. No one here. Wouldn't it be great if we did, though? In this book, uh, Bill Johnson, Face to Face with God, Uh, he talks about an experience that he has. It's a very long chapter, so I am just reading a quick extract. So we're launching straight into what happens here. And it says, here it was, 3 a.m., and it was my moment. It didn't come in the way I expected, although I couldn't have told you what I expected. He had come to me on a mission. I was his target. It was a glorious experience because it was him, but it was not a very pleasant one. It was not gratifying in any natural sense. At first, I was embarrassed. I even felt my face turn red, even though I was the only one who knew I was in that condition. And that condition, he said earlier in the chapter, is he was completely paralyzed in his bed. He could not move. As I lay there, I had a mental picture of myself standing before my congregation, teaching from God's word, as I love to do, but with my arms and legs flailing about as though I had a serious physical and emotional problems. Then I saw myself walking down the main street of our town in front of my favorite restaurant in the same condition. I didn't know anyone who would believe this was, that this was from God. Now, I really like this book. I found it hugely helpful. But, my first read through that book made me feel like, well, if I don't have that massive experience, then perhaps God's not going to use me as much. Perhaps I'm not going to see that power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps I I won't see that fulfillment of the mission. And I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. I'm not saying that those experiences don't happen and that any one of you won't experience that. Don't mishear what I'm saying. But let's look at what else happens throughout uh, different passages in the Bible uh, when the Holy Spirit fills people. So they speak in miraculous languages. We've just had that, Acts 2, chapter 4. They pray for healing in Acts 6, chapter, uh, Acts 6, 8. They prophesy, as you see in 1 Corinthians, when they talk about the fruits of the Spirit. They are bold in sharing their faith. 
They're bold in sharing their faith. That's Acts 1, verse 8. That's not a big physical reaction to the Holy Spirit. That's something inside of them that's overflowing out. They experience joy. Now, as I told my story, I experienced joy that overwhelmed at me and I could not stop laughing. But you might have experienced joy that just bubbles up inside of you that you can't explain. It might not have resulted in you crying in laughter or falling on the floor, but you might have experienced a powerful joy inside of you. They get a sense of God's love. They do that in Romans. They get that in Romans 5, verse 5. And I'm not talking about, ah, oh, the love. It's like a couple who are new together. They realize they're in love. They look at each other. And you can sit on the bench down there, and you look at them and you know that there's love there. It's even bigger than that. God's love for us is even bigger than that. So whilst that love is inside, it's still gonna see, you're still going to see something different come from it. In Luke 1, 39-47, uh, there's a new experience of worship. The Holy Spirit came and new praise, and praised in a new and exciting way. In Romans 8, the Holy Spirit gives them this security, this assurance that they are children of God, something that firmly puts their feet into Jesus. In Galatians 5, 25 the Holy Spirit transforms the characters to be more like Jesus. So what do all these things have in common? Well, as I've tried to explain as I go through, something concrete happens that makes these people different. It doesn't have to be this big physical thing, but perhaps their character has changed to become more like Jesus. Perhaps they have so much love that they can't help but go and volunteer for the next food bank to love the poor. Perhaps they experience such joy that they can't help but tell the next person they meet boldly about the gospel. Think back uh, to times you've experienced the Spirit. Have you experienced any of those things? If you've experienced those things, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You haven't needed that massive physical thing to have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. That is just as powerful as when someone falls over. Do not dismiss the things that are done inside of you. What defines the Holy Spirit filling you is seeing something concrete change. Need a bigger lectern. In Acts 11... verse 15 to 17. For the benefit of the recording, I haven't just passed out. I am just turning pages. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
that's exciting. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Different words are used to describe how the Holy Spirit comes. He's a fire, fire, wind, water. He comes down, he fills, he drenches. There's lots of different ways of doing this. We all experience the Holy Spirit in a different way. Your experience doesn't have to be the same as someone else's experience. You just need to see that change that the Holy Spirit has, has brought. I emailed Liam Thatcher, um, who is a pastor at Christ Church London, um, who I knew from my days at City Church when he was at City, because I knew that they'd done a series on Acts. I said, oh, what have you read? Uh, what, have you, what have you read? Um, and so he sent me a couple of books as a recommendation. And he also sent me the transcript from the preach that he gave. And in it, he talks about uh, him and his wife getting into the swimming pool. His wife sits by the edge of the pool and gently splashes herself, gets a toe wet, then another toe, then a leg. Until, as he puts it, as he puts it, many hours later, finally she's completely wet and she's in the pool. By his own words, Liam says he charges in like an impatient mammal and just dives straight in. Now, <laughs> I wasn't going to tell that story because that's, uh, that's Liam's story. But actually, I like the analogy of the swimming pool. Some people will, come, will receive a huge, powerful, life-changing experience of the Holy Spirit that just completely changes their life. Other people will get in a bit more gently. They will still experience the Holy Spirit. They're still getting in the pool with the Holy Spirit, but it might be a bit more gentle. That's okay. That's okay. But taking that swimming pool analogy one step further, there's a shallow end and a deep end. Where are we at the moment? Where are you at the moment? Are you in the shallow end? Do your feet still touch the ground? Perhaps your upper body's outside of the pool. Maybe you're halfway down, you're up to your shoulders, but your feet are still securely on the ground. God wants us to be in the deep end of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be touching the ground. We need to be completely immersed. That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be completely immersed. Which is why, if you read some books on uh, Holy Spirit, they completely avoid the words baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to avoid that because it says it in the Bible. It says baptism in the Holy Spirit. But what that can ha lead some people to think is that it's this one-hit thing that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and then you're done. Because they see baptism in the Holy Spirit and they see baptism in water. But that's not what happens. And that's not what we see through the Bible. We see 
baptism in the Holy Spirit again and again. The people are filled again and again. The experience they receive at the end of the Bible, when the Spirit has been with them for many years, is the same one they experienced on the first day that the Holy Spirit came. It's the same power. It's the same filling. It is not different. So, like I said, a bit later on, we are going to come together and we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. We all need filling constantly. We all need filling constantly. And we all want to see that change, that concrete change. I just want to read you this little bit from Terry Virgo's book, The Spirit-Filled Church, where he talks about baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about the theology of it. I'm not going to go into the details of the theology. Um, If you want to do that, then we can go for a coffee and we can have a chat about the theology of baptism of the Holy Spirit and when it happens. Um... But what Terry says, and what I believe, is that the Holy Spirit is a distinct event after salvation. It might be you give your life to Jesus and then the Holy Spirit comes on to you. Or it might be you believe in Jesus, you give your life to Jesus, and then a few days later, suddenly you ask for the Spirit and it comes. And I want to read you this story, because this is Terry's experience of that with the same people, uh, two people in the room. I remember an occasion when a young woman called Celia was converted at one of our Sunday morning meetings. At the conclusion, she asked me, is there not more than this? She knows. There's something in her heart that tells her there's something more than... She's given her life to Jesus. She is saved. Hallelujah. She is saved, but there is something more. She sensed the vibrant presence of the Holy Spirit in the meeting and did not want to miss anything in her experience as a young Christian. I invited her to my home on the following Sunday. She arrived eager to experience the Holy Spirit for herself. She brought a friend with her who had been so impressed with the transformation of her life over the previous week that she also wanted to become a Christian. I had the joy of leading this friend to the Lord straight away. After this, Celia reminded me that she had come to learn about receiving the Holy Spirit. I took some time to open the scriptures and explain to her the basis of her expecting to receive the Spirit. And as a young Christian, six days old in the Lord, she immediately asked if I would pray for her. Her friend, who was by now about 20 minutes old as a Christian, immediately asked if she too could receive the Holy Spirit in the terms that I had explained. I replied that of course she could and had the joy of laying hands upon both of them and praying for both of them, whereupon the Holy Spirit came upon both of them and they began to sing in tongues to the Lord Jesus with all their hearts. One was a Christian of six six days, the other was a Christian of 20 minutes. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord of our God will call to himself. Acts 2, 39. Two different people, same room, same spirit. Isn't that amazing?
how do we experience the Holy Spirit? I'm asking that as a question of you right now. Uh, where in your life do you see the Spirit moving? Where is he doing things in your life? Where could you really do with more of the Spirit? Have you not received the Holy Spirit in the power that we've been reading about and that I've been talking about this morning? You can today, wherever you're at, whether you've been a Christian for many years, or you've been a Christian 20 minutes, you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. When Peter's asked, uh, how do they receive the Holy Spirit? He says, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been baptized in water, I'm not saying you're not going to receive the Holy Spirit, but what I am saying is that what Peter is saying is we need to be obedient to what God is saying to us. If we want to see the Holy Spirit in all its power, we need to listen to what God's saying to us. And we need to obey him. If you haven't been baptized in the water, in uh, full immersion in water, then I really encourage you to be obedient. The Bible tells you that, that that is what we should do. If we're obedient, we will see the Holy Spirit come. As we come into the end of this, I just uh, want to tell you a very quick story that Barry Gold told me once, um, who was preaching last week. Um, he said uh, he was waiting for the Holy Spirit and he was praying for the Holy Spirit to come and his hands started to shake and he was I don't want this physical I don't want this physical thing it's weird and so he tried to stop himself from shaking and Maureen turned to him and said what are you doing? what are you doing? so I'm stopping my hands I said, no it says in the Bible don't quench the Holy Spirit do not resist the Holy Spirit Acts 7 is where it says don't resist the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians, it's, it's do not quench the Holy Spirit. If something happens when the Spirit falls on you, let it happen. Don't try and fight it. Jesus wants us to really experience the Holy Spirit in all its power, not contained by what we think it should feel like. I think it's time that we see what the Holy Spirit has for us this morning. So I'm going to invite Stephen and John to come up. And I'm going to hand over to David in a minute. But can we just all stand?